Yes, it does, man. So how are you? Good to see you again. Good to talk to you. It's very good to talk to you, Pat. Uh, I've been very good. Um, I've been enjoying your podcast. I just, I'm halfway through their most recent one. Um, I really like the topics like forgiveness and grief and stuff. Those are really big, awesome topics that I wish more people would talk about. Yeah, I really appreciate the, um, the topics and the questions people send in, especially when I talk with Dan and, you know, I yeah. get it. People, people want to hear about goblet squats and pressing, but oh, at sure. least for like, you know, and that's important, but once you do that for like 15 years, it gets a little stale. So. <laughs> I, I totally understand. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's nice so to get I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that you're enjoying it. That makes me smile. Absolutely. You know, uh, last week, I guess it's two weeks ago. Now I was driving down to Texas to visit seven sets of family and, uh, plenty of time to catch up on podcasts. And so yours was my go-to one. And it was great. A lot of good content. And you and Alex, always fun to hear that. Yeah, he's a hoot. That guy's a, that guy's a real bird. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what is with the Robitussin part of it? Is he all about uh, DXM tripping or something? Yeah, yeah, he's all about it. Um, no, it's a, it's a, it was actually a kind of an inside joke that started a year or two ago on the podcast with Sam and I. He was, um, I don't know, he was hacking his lungs out. and He, was, he just had like a big bottle of Robitussin. And they were drinking the whole time through the, through the show. So we've just never let him off the hook for that. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So I forget when that started. But uh, anyway, it, it, it always triggers him because he wants to be called the Hebrew Hammer and I just call him Robitussin Alex. <laughs> yeah, I love it. It's a good nickname too. Um, I don't know if you know this, but I grew up in Omaha as well. So I always like seeing good Midwestern people. And uh, he grew up in, he lived in Omaha, right? He's, he's back there now. So he was in, he was in Israel for mm-hmm. four years. So Omaha to Israel. Then he came out by me in Pennsylvania for about two years. He actually lived with me for about seven or eight months as he was just, you know, getting settled. Um, and wow. then I moved out to Wisconsin and he stayed there for about two or three more months. And now he's back in Omaha. Wow. Good for him. Yeah. It's cool seeing his content too. I've, I've seen this stuff pop up on strong first. And of course, actually way back in the day when you guys were first doing stuff together, I had his um, program for like crawling around 10 minutes of crawling a day. Yep. Yeah. His 10 minute crawling challenge. Yeah. He's yeah. still going strong with that stuff. Good. Yeah. Good. It's, it's, it works. I have everybody I know trying to crawl and roll and it works. Yep. Yeah. I'm trying to, he was out here um, in summer. He came just to pay a little visit for a few days. I'm trying to get him out again. It's uh he's a fun dude just to hang around with. So I miss oh, that. I bet he is. Well, um, this is all great content so far. It's great discussion. Uh, as far as intro do you want to do an intro like this is pat flynn from chronicles of strength and he's got all these books on keto and you know paleo and i'd be happy to do that no whatever you want i mean if we're already rolling then apologies for not making this more interesting <laughs> well i'm intrigued and i'm, I'm sure a lot yeah, of just picking on alex so hey alex how you doing <laughs> robot doesn't alex hebrew hammer friend uh, that's good stuff um actually you know a lot of people i train with and i've been on the podcast prior to you I told them this week that you're going to be on the podcast and they were just ecstatic to even be on the same show that you're on. So, Oh, cool. Yeah. You got a lot of fans out here in Denver. I, I've never been. I have a number. I know I have people have invited me out there to do some stuff in Denver and Boulder and I would love to go. I mean, I, I just hear so many Ooh, it's awesome things about Colorado and how beautiful it is and that the fitness scene is very vibrant there. Very um, much. I have no excuse. I just, I just, no, for whatever <laughs> reason have just never been. Uh, that's just, I don't know, man. I'm kind of weird in the sense that uh, you know I work for myself, so I I could you know work and travel anywhere. But I'm just such a I'm just such a homebody. I like to kind of stay where I'm at. I definitely definitely get that. You know, I think we have a similar background. You know, uh, battling through anxieties and depression, and finding fitness and and guitar mm-hmm. and music to help and cope with those. 
I do, I'm, I'm very introverted and I try and retreat when I, I exhaust my resources in public, whether it's interviewing uh, Patagonia or yesterday we're interviewing Spider at their headquarters in Boulder. And it's great. I got like two or three hours in me. And then I'm like, I got to retreat <laughs> and go back home and write or do something non-vocal and non-extroverted. You know, it's, it's funny you bring that up because it, it, I think it partly is. It's not entirely for me, but it partly is an anxiety thing. Because when you're, when you're kind of like a high, strong person in general, which I definitely mm-hmm. am, you like to have that routine and the yes. monotony. Like it gives you that stability. I was just traveling this, this past week. So I travel when I have to. And mm-hmm. I do enjoy it, you know, when, I'm, when, you know, when it's happening. But yes, it's, it, it just tends to, tends to agitate me. <laughs> Not having that routine, not having that stability. So I'm very much, my life is very monotonous and boring. I do pretty (laughs) much the same things every single day. And when I get out of that, yeah, it just, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I could sit here and psychoanalyze myself all day, but it probably isn't the topic of high interest for your listeners. But you might be, uh, might be onto something there. Actually, you know, I think routines are important for every mammal, every creature, like dogs, humans. Um, So I have my routines and stuff, but. I think my, my readers would probably enjoy learning what your morning routines are. Yeah. Well, like I said, um, hopefully you guys are ready for a nap because just, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> so, so I get up um, and you know, what I try to do is usually try to do some prayer meditation first thing in the morning. And, and again, that's just, that is very centering to me. That's, that's very important. Yeah. Um, and then I, I typically try to focus my, whatever like the biggest task is for me that day. I try to do it first when I feel, uh, most energized, fresh. So, you know, maybe I'll do a little movement, a little exercise, nothing too intense right away, but just get the blood flowing. And then I'll just get my coffee and I'll get to work. Usually it's a writing project. Almost always it's a writing project. So I'll write anywhere from th- for a solid three to five hour block in the mornings. Um, and if I have, that's when I also do some podcasts with like Dan or if I have those scheduled. So writing and podcasts in the morning, I'm somebody who really needs to have that routine. If I get out of the routine, uh, I start to lose that momentum. And, and I think that, I think that's, something that would apply to pretty much anybody in anything. Like once you have that momentum going, do everything you can to keep it because it's so easy to lose momentum in areas. Um, then, I, then I have my, uh, my fitness break, which I'll be doing after our conversation here, which usually is around lunchtime-ish. Um, and typically I'm, I'm fasting. So I'll usually just have my coffee and then I'll, I'll, I'll work out generally around 11 or 12, something like that. Um, come back, I'll break my fast, have, have some type of lunch. And then at that point, I usually shift gears a little bit. That's when I'll, I'll typically do some, st- I'll go from the sort of the, the creative, the output mode to the input mode. Then I'll start to study, I'll read, you know, whatever I'm, I'm focused on or researching, I'll try and spend at least an hour or two in that. Then I have my music practice. I know, Sean, we both have backgrounds there. So I still try to keep a steady diligence in my creativity with my music as well. So I'm sitting in my, in my basement right now and have my little studio set up. So I always uh, you know, try to put at least an hour uh, in a day uh, there. Um, picked up piano as well. So I've been hammering, oh, away wow. at, hammering away at the keys, trying to learn a new skill uh, in that department. And then you know, at that point, I, I really try, uh, you know, before dinner, if there's some time left, that's when I'll do like the menial kind of uh, monkey work business tasks, you know, the logistical, the boring, technical, dry stuff that just yeah. has to be done. Mm-hmm. I always try to put that off because it's pretty brain dead stuff. So I hate to waste energy on that um, in the morning. So I, I usually, the, the problem is, is by that time, I'm usually so smoked. Sometimes I won't do it at all, but I do try <laughs> to get it done. Uh, you know, whatever that is, if it's like Facebook advertising or just setting up campaigns in my uh, 
email system or whatever. Just dumb, boring stuff. Uh, then I really try to have a hard stop. You know, like when, as we're getting close to uh, dinner, I really try to, all right, work is done for the day. Now let's focus on the family. We always have family dinner. Uh, always spend time with the kids, make sure that we have that 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 time together really valuable for for me and I think everybody spend time together after dinner you know kids kids in bed, and then really it 's just spending time with my wife after that and trying to get to bed at a reasonable enough hour again i 'm one of those people if i if i don 't hit that right bedtime, it just throws everything off so and wow. that is pretty much my routine, uh, certainly throughout the week. Weekends vary. They change up. Sure. Sundays, I really try to take off and just spend uh, you know, that day with the family, relaxing, not doing any work. But generally, that's, that's pretty much it. Hey, that sounds like a, a really good routine. Um, a lot of similarities with that. I've, since uh, last time we talked to you, I've definitely been doing more intermittent fasting. And like you, there's a hard stop for the work. There's a eat the frog first mentality, get the hard stuff done real early in the morning and uh, segmenting the days. I feel for myself at least, and it sounds like you, helps with creative process and helps with um, giving your best self to everybody that you're working with or working for or for yourself. So it's uh, it's cool. I can resonate with that totally. Yeah, I think so. Creativity is 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 like a muscle, and you need to you need to frequently train it. You know, the, mm-hmm. the views will arrive when you're patient and you're putting in the work and you're showing up consistently. That's if you wait until you feel creative or if you wait until you feel productive, you're you're going to be neither. You just have to show up. You have to be on time. You have to stay on the job until the task is done. Mm -hmm. And if you just do that often enough, you know, every once in a while won't happen. You'll come out with something halfway decent. And most of the stuff you come out with will be complete rubbish. And that's just just the nature of the creative act in general. And that's what most people don't realize from the outside, you know, have have these books out and stuff. It's like, okay, you're reading the finished, edited, polished project that took me years. What you haven't seen are the hundreds of thousands of words that never made it into print that I would mm-hmm. be too embarrassed to print that no human could ever possibly write that badly. Um, but <laughs> You're not it's, you know, on yourself at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, I just, I, I think, I hope it would inspire people because people get very despondent, especially on the, you know, when they're on the other side and they're, they're, they're not seeing the grind. They're not seeing yes, the, the, the sweat a- and, and how arduous and difficult the process is. And really what I'm saying is like, look, it sucks for all of us. <laughs> like yeah, everything, yes. it always sucks. Um, you can find joy in the suck. That's true. If mm-hmm. you have the right expectations, if you understand it's going to suck, you can kind of laugh at it. You don't have to get depressed over it, but it's always going to suck. Whether it's writing, whether it's fitness, whether it's music, anything that is worth doing, it's always going to suck. And the way you get by that is you understand that it's going, that just the suck is part of the process and you just show up anyways and you stay on the job and eventually you'll pop something out that's halfway decent and you save, save that and you try to polish it up and you know, there's a bunch of crap in between and then you have another thing that's halfway decent. You save that, you try and polish it up and then you know, throughout the years you might have like 10 things that are halfway decent and that's a career. <laughs> I, I love it. So well explained. Uh, I'm glad to hear from your point of view too, because, you know, as a creator as well, people tend to just see the good stuff, like especially on YouTube or on Facebook and they're like, oh, it's so shiny and it's all so perfect. And I'm like, there's like 95% crap before that, that good thing went out. So yeah, glad to hear from you too. It's true. There's a good book. Um, well, there's a lot of good books on writing that talk about this. Any good book on writing will admit this. A- any, any book that I've ever read where a writer you know, makes it seem like it's easy is typically a terribly written book. Um, <laughs> the, I mean, yeah. you, you read like E.B. White, The Elements of Style. I really like um, William Zinser on writing well. I mean, he, ta- he, he really talks about this process and how arduous it is. He's a brilliant, beautiful writer. But the cool thing about mm-hmm. that book is in one of the chapters, he actually shows one of his original rough drafts. 
So oh, you really, cool. you actually get to see the process. It's like, oh, wow, that really was bad at first. And now it's, <laughs> and now it's great. So that was, that was, I remember reading that when I was younger and it was, I found it very inspiring because, because then you realize I'm not alone. Yeah. And you, you know, maybe I'm to. not quite as dumb as I think I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Pretty close, pretty close, but maybe it's, not quite as dumb. <laughs> it's good to be humble, but it's nice to see the humility in other people and uh, see their progress. Yeah, you know, absolutely. You gave me some good advice last time we spoke um, about writing, and it was something to the effect of, you should be able to write 1,000 words about your trash can. Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. <laughs> and it sounds weird to the listeners, I'm sure, but as Engearment, uh, the, you know, the owner and director of Stoke for Engearment, this podcast, we have 22 writers as of this recording, which wow. is, to me, a mind-boggling. Last year, I think we had three. So it grew really quick, and people are always asking, how do I – how do I write? Like, what do you look for? And honestly, it's just authenticity um, and make it, make it interesting. Well, that's why I, I, lo I love E.B. White. You know, he was, he was one of my early inspiration. I remember in the second grade reading Charlotte's Web and falling in love with him. And then I rediscovered him again in high school, realizing, oh, he has a lot of stuff for adults too. I mean, his collection of essays is just beautiful. But the thing about him is he can talk about chicken coops, something I have <laughs> no interest in, no knowledge about, but the manner in which he talks about it is, is so interesting. He's just such a good storyteller. You really feel like you're just kind of sitting on the porch with him and he's smoking a pipe and then this all just kind of falls out in this beautiful storytelling voice. And I think that's, and Mark Twain was the same way. And so mm -hmm. many of these other great, great writers have that ability. And that's a challenge. Can you talk about something so otherwise mundane like chicken coops and make it interesting because because then then you've got it right because then when you talk about something that is actually interesting i mean you're just gonna you're gonna be an absolute force at that point so i think that's a good writing prompt obviously you yeah. don't want to just talk about that but it's a good challenge how do i make my trash can how do i make people want to read about my trash can right what's the yeah. story there what's the, what's, what's the analogy right and these these little it's like like little workouts little exercises that i think can really help you to flex that creativity muscle oh that's really good advice pat Appreciate you sharing with our listeners. Um, gosh, well, speaking of your creativity, I have to plug your books. I mean, you have a lot of a lot of published work. Looking at, on Amazon alone, um, Introduction to Kettlebells, How to Be Better at Almost Everything, which uh, I picked up and got a copy for some of our trainers as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, that's great stuff. I love. I like the idea behind generalism. Can you can you break that down for listeners? What generalism is to you? Yeah, so that's the um, that's the thesis of that that book you just mentioned, How to Be Better at Almost Everything, which is which is my newest. That introduction to kettlebells is just like a really trashy one dollar ebook I put. That is, that's nothing <laughs> official cheap. by any means. Yeah, that's just a like it's like a pamphlet. It's embarrassing to even call it a book. But my latest <laughs> my latest book is that that little green one, and um, the idea of generalism is. Uh, it was really a reflection on my own experience, realizing I'm not the best at anything, mm -hmm. not even close. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm good to great or at least fairly competent at a lot of different things. And I've been able to stack and combine those skills to form competitive and creative advantages in life that have actually allowed me to circumvent um, specialists who are better than me in any one particular area. And it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's a business-leaning book. But I think the, the principles of generalism can apply to many different areas. So it's really an argument for skill stacking and focusing as much on breadth as you do depth. And that it's easier to be different in many ways than it is to be better. And you can be better by being different. Oh, I love this. This is great. You know, I'm going to piggyback on that because so think about this. Um, you did the RKC, is that correct? Yeah, I was at the time, I realized this later, the youngest person to ever, to ever pass it, to go through it. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Freshman year of college, I was foolish enough to 
subject myself to that. That was back when it was like a really big hazing event too, where they just beat you up for like three days straight. Oh, they still do that. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah, I'm I glad those traditions haven't fallen away. Yeah. No, you had to like all... carry the kettlebell to the bathroom with you and stuff. It just got of cool. Well, we'd have to do that, but that is something we might do next time. I like yeah. that. But uh, yeah, they definitely, three days of, of uh, very, very hard work. Um, so yeah, I, I love the, the opposite of that because I, I like the journalism because like you, I like to be good enough to get the job done in a lot of different categories. I don't care about being the best in any one thing, but um, I think with Strong First and other industries like that, they are like a mile deep, but only you know 100 feet wide or whatever their analogy is, right? So they're really specialized at the best way to do the press. And, you know, it's, it's very helpful, but I think it's good to take that kind of knowledge Combine it with, say, um, FMS or TRX or body weight or wh- whatever else you want to put in your toolkit to help people. As far as fitness goes, you know, it, you can generalize this in a bigger sense too. But yeah, obviously, I'm going to be the last person to disagree with you on that point. <laughs> my book, but but uh, there's, I think we can find some some points of reconciliation here where it, it's still valuable mm-hmm. to have those experiences of specialization to go through like an SFG or an RKC or something like that. Mm-hmm. And the argument I make in my book is a generalist is just a good short-term specialist, right? We, we mm-hmm. learn to go deep in some, so it doesn't exclude mastery. Like not, not being the best in the world doesn't mean you still can't be really great or, or a master. Or oh, yeah. and, and I encourage people to do that, but we don't need to arbitrarily restrict ourselves to just one domain. And in fitness, in fitness, I think this is a good example mm-hmm. because to the extent that we want fitness to be health promoting, specialization can really be a snare. Like if you're just trying yes. to be the best in the world at the deadlift or the press, you are going to get hurt. There's yes. no way around it. Now, look, if that is your lifelong dream and goal and you understand that this is just the nature of the game, like playing a professional sport, right? If you're going to be a professional athlete, like a football player, you're going to get hurt. That's just mm-hmm. the nature of the game. But most people, most of the time, and certainly most of the people I work with, they don't care about having the strongest press in the world. They want a yeah. strong press. They want a strong upper body. They want to have some, you know, they want to have some muscle. They want to be lean, but they also want to be really healthy. So in that sense, we can specialize to an extent, but at some point we have to pivot and we have to, we have to balance ourselves out and explore other modalities, other approaches, and, and focus on a robust foundation of general physical preparedness. So maybe we're not going to win um, a powerlifting competition or a gymnastics competition, but we're going to be able to do a lot of things fairly well, right? We're going to be able to be able to keep up with most people most mm-hmm. of the time. And I think and I found that that's really attractive to people because now health and fitness are complementary, which is great, right? Fitness yes. should be health conferring and health promoting. Yes. And we avoid those those traps of of hardcore lifelong specialization. And it's interesting to see these past couple of years how, how much people have fallen into that trap and they've really hurt themselves. Yes. They've jacked themselves up by specializing in something that one, they never really wanted to be the best at anyways. And two, quite frankly, they never will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I like that. Hammer dropped. Love yeah. It. And that's not an insult. I mean, like, let's be honest, like it's like one eighth of like 1% of the population maybe has a chance to be the best in the world at any one particular thing. So I just don't even think it's a very wise pursuit in life. I mean, just no. statistically, the odds are, I don't want to discourage your dream. I don't want to explode anyone's dreams here, but there's a better, easier way to get ahead. And that's kind of the argument in my book is you can generalize. You don't have to specialize. And I think you'll be better off for it. I, I totally agree. For example, you know, as a fitness professional, I think some of us get into this industry thinking we're going to, we working with elite athletes and you know that's not usually the case for example um this morning i i did my sessions my group sessions in the law firm gym that i helped build and these people are people that would be our parents age pat and i love seeing them 
enjoy a higher quality of life, preparing for hikes this weekend or going skiing with their kids or grandkids. And we're just generally helping them with their health, movement, and fitness. We're not specializing in, you know, overhead squatting or uh, tons of snatching. It's just what can be the minimum effective dose to help this person on their path for better health, better well-being, and quality of life. Yeah, and um, you know, for, for and I have worked with many professional athletes and, and special forces too. And even with them, I would typically generalize. We'd focus on on filling gaps. So I would go down to like Camp Lejeune and work with like Marsoc down there and and some of those guys, great dudes. But they were like specializing in their fitness and jacking themselves up. And then they weren't able to really do their job as effectively. So we had to go down there, me and a group of guys, and really try to revamp a lot of their training programs and realize, hey, like, and it's funny because a lot of them are like type A. They're very competitive. Just That's mm-hmm. just the nature of that, that mindset. So they were doing a, like a lot of specialized type of training, CrossFit even, like trying to be the best at CrossFit. Sure. And, and um, their physical therapists were realizing this, this is actually not very conducive. To, to what we need to have these guys be able to do. They're getting hurt. They're burning themselves out. Um, so we came down and we really tried to generalize their training program, um, you know, kind of in some ways tone it down, but in other, in other ways just introduce new elements there. So even for people who, who, who have to operate at a very high level, I still think the case for, for, for being at least a generalist to some degree can be made. Now, of course, there's, there's certain exceptions like Michael Phelps should not read my book. There's no reason for Michael Phelps <laughs> to read my book sure. or Tiger Woods. Um, unless, you know, there's other areas of their life where that might make sense. But most people just aren't going to be uh, a Michael Phelps. And that's okay. That's, that's totally fine. So I'm talking to everybody who isn't. <laughs> we have to be selective with our audiences, right? Oh, sure. Talking to everybody who isn't that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. And, you know, to your point too, I was very fortunate to get to work with a retired Navy SEAL, Eric Frohart, um, in creating a generalized program and that that program we tested for like two years uh, based on the strong endurance, which is really minimalist. You will love it, Pat. It's just basically swings and push-ups. <laughs> Talk about real generalist, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. Yeah, I know um, my buddies, the Toshners, are real, real big. Oh, yeah, Derek. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, they're right by me, by the way. Yeah, oh, I was, no uh, way. I was hanging out with um, Ryan just, to, just to, when I first moved here, I got together, had lunch with Ryan. Yeah, great guys. Oh, that's so cool. Well, uh, you know, Derek and I are in that book, The Quick and the Dead, as well. Uh, Eric Frohart's in there and uh, a lot of great people. Like, well, next question for you, speaking of great people, who do you look up to in the fitness community? Oh, I mean, so many. Um, right. Obviously, Pavel was very influential to, uh, to me when I was first starting. Um, Dan John, who I, mm-hmm. who I talk with every week on my podcast, was a, was a great influence. Um, you know, uh, my starting in fitness was actually because of martial arts, so I can't really exclude that. So, I mean, just, just the personal names people wouldn't recognize because they were just individual coaches to me at the time, you know, just mm-hmm. martial arts uh, instructors. Um, my, my great friend, Sam, who's been on yeah. my podcast, you know, he's the one that really first got me into kettlebells. And I remember I was doing a lot of like traditional weightlifting, bodybuilding type of stuff at the time when I, when I first met him uh, my freshman year of college. I was on the Taekwondo team, the competing team. And he's like, hey, we're going we're gonna to stop this and we're going to start doing this. And he introduced me to uh, Brian Petty, who was, he passed away, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, he was a huge influence to me. And I, I trained under him, under bare-knuckle bare boxing. And he would, the first kettlebell exercises he ever had me do were actually just really heavy rack holds. So I didn't even do swings first. I just was introduced wow. to heavy rack holds. And I, I fell in love with it. So I, the, the funny thing is, is I, the point being, I think most of my, the biggest influence in my life are people who really aren't that famous. They were just direct coaches to me, 
mm-hmm. um, names that a lot of people wouldn't, they should be famous, <laughs> arguably. Yeah. Like, like, these are brilliant people. They really shaped my life. My early martial arts coaches, my early kettlebell coaches. Um, but yeah, I mean, on the, uh, the level where people might be more familiar with um, Pavel, uh, Dan, um, you know, just there's, 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 there's so many that I've read and, and, and tried to study throughout the years that I, I probably couldn't even give a, a complete list. I, I, I know it's a trick question, right? If you ask me yeah. a question, I would be here for half an hour at least. And I forget two thousand. Yeah. Um, let me think. Now, now you got me thinking because I'll be actually quite honest. I haven't read a fitness book in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. I don't. No, no NSCA, no ACE, no NASA. I'm like, all right, I did all those ten years ago. I know. Now. It's just, it's like you know. At some point, you just go into different areas of study. So I'm trying to think like, what's the last? I mean, I have I'm, my bookshelf's right behind me, and Dan John's uh, "Can You Go" is right here. Uh, oh yeah, that, that one was that books. one was very good. He keep, I always read his stuff when it comes out. So yeah, if I would just to give a huge nod to anybody, it would be Dan. Yeah, he, he's such a influential and, and awesome person. I like getting his audiobook versions, listening to him talk. It's really easy to listen to for sure. And yeah, he's got helpful. he's got that storyteller's voice. He is. You know? It's he's like just a joy. He's a rock and tour or loquacious. He's he's good with words. Yeah, um, that's cool. And it's really how cool is it now that to share a podcast with him and have questions come in from people around the world and be able to help them on their paths. That's Oh, cool it's, it's so fun, you know, because I remember, and speaking of influence, I remember reading Dan, like, in high school when I was first getting into, into fitness. And, uh, like, of course, he was, like, a superstar to me, like, on T Nation and all this mm-hmm. stuff. So, like, I just, like, built him up in my mind. It's like, you know, he was, like, Angus Young of ACDC, like, this rock star <laughs> of the fitness world. So, like, if you would have told me back then that I'd become great friends with him and be sharing a podcast together, I would have. I would have sooner believed I would have been invited to join, like, literally join ACDC or something like that. So, <laughs> Looking back, I mean, it's so cool. And Dan, obviously, is just one of the greatest, one of the greatest guys. He uh, he helped me out uh, so much as I was kind of coming coming along in the industry. I mean, he he asked me for one of my books early on when we met in an expo, and I remember I handed him it was my one of my first self published books, and he he took it, and I was like super embarrassed. I'm like, oh god, Dan John just took my book. He's gonna hate it. Mm-hmm. He comes back an hour and a half later, actually having read a significant portion of it, said that he loved it. Um, we ended up hanging out every single night, um, like to like 2am just with Dan, you always, it's always a party. Um, <laughs> and it just, that. yeah, you just get taken to the ropes by that guy. You cannot hang with him in anything and, um, just became great friends have consistently just shared ideas back and forth. And, and I've had him on my podcast a number of times and he kind of just made, uh, somewhat of an offhanded remark in an email once he's like, Oh man, I could podcast with you every week. I'm like, well, well <laughs> be, care- said. be careful what you suggest. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm serious. And we've been doing it ever since. And people have seemed to, to really enjoy it. We spend a lot of time, like you said, just, just taking questions that come in, you know, people send me through email or, or Instagram or whatever. And it just yeah. it seems to be, provide a lot of value. And Dan's always just a, such a pleasure to, to chat with. Yeah, it's, it's enjoyable as a listener to listen to you guys talk and get off topic in a good way. You have cranked out, what, 351 podcasts now? Oh, my goodness. Have I really? I just know because I saw it in the podcast screen, but it's a lot of podcasts. Yeah, I guess I have. And I guess yeah. the, the funny thing is I never even wanted to podcast. I was kind of late in the game. <laughs> and once yeah. I, got, I got my last book deal, the How to Be Better, and I'm like, I, I think a good way to maybe build out some of these ideas, this is part of my creative process, is like, let me just talk through this with some, some interesting people and get some perspectives of people I think are generalists. 
And I really thought it would just be a short-term thing. I'd shut it down once I was done with the book. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with the conversations. I fell mm-hmm. in love with the format. And then people really enjoyed it. Uh, my followers uh, wanted me to continue with it. And so here we are, all these 350 episodes later. That's great. You know, like you, I really never thought I'd have a podcast. And then, you know, it just randomly did it. I was on a podcast and I was like, wow, this was fun. That was on another podcast. I'm like, this is a lot of fun. Then I looked at the equipment, I'm like, from a, a musical background, I'm like, all right, we could do better than this. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love that. Like studying people you appreciate and like, all right, that was really cool. But I think we can twist this factor and make it a little bit better. And so I've been in this like rabbit hole of equipment and like microphones and oh, blah, blah, blah. I talk you off about it. But it's been a fun process. And it's cool because you can get your content out of people who are driving. Yes. Or, you know, doing something in the house, some chores. Whereas, you know, I have a lot of traffic through YouTube, like 3 million people this year. And I love that format. Um, but you can't watch YouTube while you're driving or you shouldn't. <laughs> See, some people do <laughs> <You> that. <should>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Disclaimer, don't do that. Um, but yeah, just different ways to get content to people and different audiences and affect them and hopefully help them. That's the end goal. Like just help people. That's that's and and that's a good point. It's a very accessible format. So I I love writing. That's that will always be my greatest passion. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm necessarily the most well spoken. I don't have any training in 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 speaking at all. I'm not a professional speaker. Uh, that's why I jumble wow. my words so much. But in to your point is um, you know people are busy. They they yeah. a lot of them are consuming content on the go. They can't read my long winded emails as they're driving to work. So it just gives another potential touch point and one that is a lot more accessible to people. I mean, I know a lot of people just listen to my podcast, even when they're at the gym, you know, when yeah. they're, when they're just going for their walk. So that's cool. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that from you too. And speaking of um, your emails, you are proficient at good copywriting and you send them out diligently. It's really impressive. And uh, for the listeners out there, how this, how this conversation even came about this week was one of the emails uh, Pat has sent out featured a St. Bernard. Is that right? That's correct. Yes. <laughs> Which I own one of those. That that one wasn't mine. That was a stock photo, but I do own a St. Bernard. Yeah. What a great dog, right? D- uh, just absolute d- disaster, to be honest. Beethoven <laughs> <laughs> but, style. But, yeah. No, like, yeah. I mean, just the the, the full uh, and complete package there. I mean, it's, her name's Lola. She's beautiful. Lola, she's the nice. sweetest dog. She's so incredibly gentle with the kids. But I mean, just wherever she, you know where she's been because there's just a pile of drool and fur. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, being good with kids is, is where I was going to go with this. And then it's ironic. So this conversation happened because I replied to Pat. And I said that my mother-in-law used to babysit uh, t- twins or triplets and the St. Bernard that would help her was named Samantha. My wife's name is Samantha because of this St. Bernard. Oh, that's so, so funny. That? Yeah. First off, I love when animal names are like very close and somewhat oddly like human in nature. Yeah. Like, like naming a dog like Theodore or like, a cat, like a cat Sharon. Yeah, Kevin. <laughs> There's a Kevin dog in our neighborhood. I'm like, that's too human. Change it. Or Steve. Yeah, Kevin or Sharon. If I get a cat, it'll definitely be Sharon. It is a boy. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Wanna blow your mind one next level. She lived in Zanesville. Oh, no stuff. Yeah. No, nice, nice save. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. No, this is a, a funny thing. Uh, I try not to be, be vulgar anyways, but sure. uh, one thing I, people have said about my podcast, it was a good point I didn't think about it. They're like, I like your podcast because, you know, not that I have anything against, you know, a vulgar, vulgar language they would sure. say, but uh, I have my kids in the car. Yes. So, so just like as a marketing tip, like if you don't need to be obnoxious in your language, just realize a lot of people drive around with their kids and they want to listen to your show, but they might mm-hmm. not air it if you're just, you know. It's a very good point. 
a lot of people our age do have kids and they want to consume the content. And if you drop an F-bomb, that probably won't listen to you again. Yeah, and part of it's a creativity challenge. Like if I can't be interesting without cussing or being really vulgar, then how interesting am I actually? And that's why I look to a lot of the like the old great comedians who were hilarious without and again, nothing against like a good vulgar joke every now and then, don't get me wrong, but um, there's something about like the funniest people like Mark Twain or Ring Lardner mm-hmm. who could just be so hilarious without relying on any cheap tricks. Yep. And then, you know, they pull out a cheap trick every now and then is, is fine. But like that to me was always something worth striving for. But anyways, getting off point, you brought up Zanesville, which is of all places. Right. And you were just there for um, your most recent interview, right? Yeah, so I was invited on EWTN, which is the Catholic, um, uh, the Catholic uh, channel that everyone clicks by when they're trying to find something to watch. And uh, it was, uh, it was, yeah, of all places, the studio was in Zanesville, Ohio, which I, I have never been to. But it was a yeah. nice trip because we sure. got to pop over in Michigan and you know see some friends and then get down there and uh, see the see <laughs> see Zanesville, Ohio. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, the Las Vegas of the Midwest. And, yes, they uh, have a Chipotle now, so they're yeah, making progress. Yeah, Chipotle, great Amish coffee, however. So the yes. Amish coffee and eggs were just superb. So that was worth it. And that's the secret of that part of Ohio. My my father-in-law, her father, lives out in this really tiny city called Coshocton. He's like the only white person who's not Amish out there. And uh, you'll see more buggies than you do cars out there. It's, it's crazy. It, the the home-cooked meals are great. It is. And I, I, I love the Amish. So there was a, we, we, were, we weren't too far from Lancaster when we were in PA. So we would go up and visit oh, yeah. Amish country every now and then. And the food and the people are all so friendly and wonderful. And they have great eggs, mm-hmm. great eggs. We would get the eggs uh, all the time. And uh, so it was, it was fun going into the coffee shops and, and just seeing, seeing that. So cheap, too. It was like five bucks for a huge platter of eggs and sausage and, and coffee. It was Did fantastic. you get any fried chicken when you're out there? There's a lot of chickens out there. No, no fried chicken, but uh, I guess that's a reason to go back, huh? If you have to. <laughs> uh, well, you know, here's a deeper question. Um, you mentioned on one of your podcasts about, you know, not always being Catholic. Do you mind if I ask what brought you into uh, seeking a connection with religion? Yeah, well, that I mean, that's kind of what the interview was on EWTN. So they oh, had a okay. segment called the the Journey Home, and what they is is they talk to converts like me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, this is fresh in my memory. I just talked about it right, for an hour. So um, just to give people a little bit more background, you know, I'm in the fitness industry, but my education isn't even related to that. I, my my undergrads in economics and my masters is in philosophy. So I was um, I was baptized when I was young, but I, I fell away from faith at a pretty early age. Um, and uh, like I remember specifically in like the sixth grade um, science class, my teacher going over like the the Big Bang theory, the origins of the universe, and I just remember thinking, hey, how, like this isn't what I learned in like my first grade Sunday school class. What's going on here, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, rather than seeking any like theologically nuanced position or asking like what the adult version was of the of the theology I received I really just started becoming very skeptical and uh, started kind of just you know shrugging off whatever type of religious affiliation I had at the time and then as I got more interested in certain writers and philosophers in high school I I really stumbled upon um, a lot of like I brought up Mark Twain right he was always kind of throwing out different zingers at religious worldviews. And I don't know what his final religious position was. He was interesting. You could always kind of see him like leaning towards religion. Then he'd mm-hmm. suddenly zeer back and then he'd lean. So you could tell there was a, a deep struggle there with him. But another writer I really liked was H.L. Mencken. And he was a, 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 a polemicist. Um, uh, he was, uh, he's like one of those old atheists, really just uh, despised religion, made fun of it. So he influenced me a lot. 
he had a, a book originally, uh, the first English work of uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, so he kind of passed me off to, to him and all these other sort of old atheists and, and materialists. So I became a very skeptical person for a long time, especially as I really started getting interested in philosophy and studying more philosophy. Um, and then really the short story is I just, I just realized that that, that worldview, like the, the naturalistic, the metaphysical naturalistic, the physicalist, the reductionist worldview just does not work. It can't account for certain basic obvious facts of, of reality, whether it's consciousness, why any contingent state of affairs exists. Uh, it's just, it's just inadequate. And it was actually by going deeper into that worldview that I eventually came out of it and realized there's, there's got to be a better system here. There's got to be a better worldview. So I, I then decided to go back and study all the philosophers that I more or less ignored, you know, going mm -hmm. back to the classics, Plato, Aristotle, Boethius, Augustine, going up to St. Thomas Aquinas. And he really impressed me. I mean, St. St. Thomas, it's, he seemed like the acme of philosophical thought to me. Um, his, his whole uh, view, it, and it's platonic in nature, so it's not radically his own, but he was a great synthesizer. And the way that, that he sort of looked at existence and the world and the arguments he gave, the rational arguments he gave when properly understood for God's existence in nature, I found at first very interesting. And then as I studied more people in this sort of Thomistic tradition, I eventually found them convincing. So that kind of brought me into a new worldview. And that worldview was at least consistent with Christianity, right? And obviously Aquinas was a Catholic, but for at that point, I was really mostly interested in his philosophical thought, not his religious beliefs. And then, you know, I kind of actually spent a lot of time uh, with religious pluralism, like people like Aldous Huxley and the perennial philosophy. And just cut me off if I'm going on too long here. No, I'm digging this. Um, and, you know, that's the kind of view like, okay, well, all religions are right and wrong in the sense mm -hmm. that, they, you know, they're all kind of like pointing at the same thing, but none of them quite gets it, right? So mm -hmm. just, just pick whatever does it for you. Another way of kind of portraying that view is, um, you know, all religions are superficially different but fundamentally the same but as i then really began to study the the different world religions buddhism taoism hinduism and eventually christianity i realized it's actually the opposite that's the case religions are only superficially the same but they're fundamentally different they're fundamentally different in their in their metaphysics their worldview and human identity anthropology and human meaning morality destiny like all the major questions are fundamentally i mean just like compare islam and buddhism just to give you an example right yeah. they're radically different so I came to realize, you know, there's no good reason not to think that some religion might actually be true. It just seems like a bias that we have of our, our sort of pluralistic culture at this time. And then I just took off the philosopher hat and put on the historian hat and really tried to investigate, like, this Christianity is interesting because it's not, it's not like an eternal religion. Like, it just happened. Like, it just, it just emerged amazingly, like, fantastically. Mm -hmm. So then I read the work of, you know, various historians and, and philosophers of history like, um, you know, uh, uh, William Lane Craig or um, N.T. Wright and realized that there was a really solid historical case to be made um, about certain facts of the life of Jesus. Uh, facts that the vast majority of historians agree on, whether they're religious or not, just like his existence, his crucifixion, empty tomb, postmortem appearances. And then it's really a question of, well, how do, you best, how do you best explain them? And at this point, you know, if I were still an atheist, I would have said there has to be some natural explanation. Maybe it's a conspiracy. Maybe it's hallucinations. Mm -hmm. uh, but it can't be a miracle, right? Because that would be impossible. But at this point, I, was already, I already was convinced that God exists. And if God exists, and he's, uh, miracles are obviously possible. 
and none of these naturalistic explanations can really account for the data, then it just seems reasonable to go with the traditional account, especially in the like historical religious context at the time. Like, yeah, this, like this, like cannot be explained naturalistically. And like the fact that we even have any evidence at all, let alone strong evidence was really surprising to me. Like mm -hmm. really alarming was not what I was expecting. Cause you kind of go in with this, this bias to like disprove it. And you mm -hmm. kind of come out with your, your mindset fundamentally changed. Um, so that's the, that's kind of the short of it. And then, you know, how did I become Catholic? It was just kind of just, again, studying the earliest Christians, the church fathers, Clement, Ignatius, Irenaeus, seeing that they talked about um, the hierarchy, the visibility of the church, the sacramentality of the church, and just seeing, okay, the Catholic church's claim that it reaches right back seems to be correct. And that's what, and it's funny because like, if you would have told me to, even five years ago, ten, especially 10 years ago, that I would ever be Catholic, I would have went to bed with a petrified diaphragm from laughing so hard. Uh, but yeah, here yeah. we are, right? <laughs> yeah, you can't make this stuff up. It's What a beautiful path, though. That's cool to see that you came back to it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been absolutely um, fundamentally transforming. And there's a lot of other stuff that's that's mixed into that, right? That's kind of like the heady side. There's some, an emotional and a huge heart side, too. I mean, having kids, having a wife, mm -hmm. Um, realizing that the love you have for your children and people in your life really isn't reducible to just like a cloud of fundamental particles, right? Yeah, <laughs> like well you, said. You just can't do it, right? Um, uh, you know, th there's that too. You know, that's a very probative and suggestive experience, you know, like just, just the nature of love by itself. And you can't make sense of that um, in, a in a reductionistic sense, certainly not in a deterministic sense, because then that, is, that isn't even love at all. And we're just kind of puppets, right? And Christianity and Catholicism had the, the philosophical and theological equipment to give love what I think was its, its full and correct meaning. So that was another big aspect of it, especially for my wife, who was never religious and never baptized. Mm -hmm. She had her own sort of experience with that, especially when having kids. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, thank you for taking the time to open up and explain that. That's it's beautiful to me. I myself am not, um, you know, church going and all that, but I like the the correlation I think you and Dan John brought together about religion coming from ligament to connect, and I think to connect with love is and that yeah and that's it and yeah Dan um Dan's interesting too because you know like his his degree is actually theology. A lot of people assume both of us were just our degrees are in physiology or kinesis, but that's actually not not the case. And it's funny, you know, because we were kind of jamming back and forth on the last episode about the definition of religion. It's something philosophers quarrel about. Some will say it's like ultimate commitment in life. And, and mm -hmm. that was the point I was pressing is like, look, like everybody has that. So in, yeah. in a sense, like everybody's religious in some sense. And Dan kind of went through the etymology of saying, well, look, it, it's from, you know, it's similar to the word ligament, a linking back, a mm -hmm. tradition. And I, I like that better, that definition. I think it's more accurate because the traditional view of religion, the way that um, at least Catholics look at religion is it's actually, it's actually a virtue in the sense that it kind of falls under a category of justice and that God has given us absolutely everything. And we could never repay it, nor does God need to be repaid, but it's good for us to want to repay it, to mm -hmm. want to give worship to God, to want to link back to God in the way that he has, he has provided for us. And then the question is, has he provided us a way? Has he given us a church? Because if so, then I should, I should want to be a part of that for my, own, for my own benefit and out of a sense of obligation and justice and duty. So there's a lot of ways you can kind of take the religious question, but I, that, the way Dan was kind of, I think is, is pretty attractive. It's very attractive because up until I heard that, I was not particularly religious. I was like, oh, but I do love the connection to something bigger. And to and using love to get there, 
it was cool. So tell, tell Dan that uh, I appreciate it very much. Yeah, I will. And it's, it is true because, you know, we, you know, obviously I believe we're all made from and for God. And we see this with everybody, you know, everybody, even when I was in the, in the deepest pit of my skepticism, there's still that soul's upward yearning, right? There's mm-hmm. that dynamism of the intellect and the will that just is never fully satisfied in this finite world, right? It's looking for that infinite and perfect plenitude of goodness and perfection and beauty itself. And either, either we're just made for frustration, either that doesn't exist, or it exists in something beyond these restrictions and boundaries here. And we all experience it. We all do. Um, so that's, that's not like a logical argument for anything, but it's a suggestive one that leads people like St. Augustine to say beautiful lines like, you know, our hearts are restless and they, they will not rest until they rest in thee, O Lord. Like that's, that's what it's getting at. So everybody experiences this in different ways, but it's, it's something that's deeply relatable. And I think that anybody can, um, you know, recognize no matter where they're at in life that, 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 yes, this is a fact of experience. No, that's, that's beautifully put. I know for a lot of people I, I, I hang out with, our religion is mountains and snow. And I know it sounds really oversimplified, but for a lot of us, that's our church. And that's where we feel most at peace and most whole and most uh, caring for each other or our loved ones who might not be with us. And so we shoot videos to like, Hey, we wish you were here so you can live th- vicariously through us in this moment. Um, so yeah. yeah. And, yeah and, and for me, and for me, it's a beautiful both and right. It's like yeah, the, the glory like of God is found in, in everything. Right. Yes. So the, 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 the majesty of, of the mountains, the, the rivers, like I just look at a cup of coffee sometimes. I'm like, that's, beautiful, <laughs> right? I hear you. I'll look at a tree for half an hour and be totally it, it's content. like, that's so beautiful. So like there's many opportunities for, for grace and reverence and this or that. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you. Uh, sometimes, you know, I love to, to be in church. I love to pray in church. Sometimes I just love to go outside go for a walk. All that, I like to hear know? that. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Very relatable. Well, you know, you brought up something really funny a long time ago. I forget what webinar it was. It was like, it was about exercise. You said, it's like skiing uphill. And who wants to do that? Well, Pat, I like to ski uphill. <laughs> yeah, you're the one guy. I'm like, <laughs> no, I think guy. it was, I think it was like showing the, the like metabolic equivalent of like, okay, swing a kettlebell was like, like uphill cross-country skiing but the good news yes. is it's not uphill cross-country <laughs> skiing because who on yes. earth and there we go somebody actually wants to do that <laughs> yes it's so funny i've been waiting years to tell you that it's it's true i really really enjoy uphill skiing the um, uphill part especially wow good for you man yeah That's and i'm not alone i you know this is kind of fun um i'm one of the administrators for the i think it's the world's biggest facebook group for backcountry skiers and snowboarders so there's about five thousand of us to like to ski uphill yeah so. We're weird. Hey, you know what? <laughs> to be fair, I've never tried it, so I could just be completely wrong. And you know what? Jokes aside, I'm sure I would enjoy it, especially oh, if yeah. I'm doing it with, 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 with you. That'd be fun. Come I on. would love that. You know what? The invitation is always there for you. I'll take, you care, I'll take care of you and get you up there. A very famous person in this community, Jeremy Jones, once said, well, doesn't, he didn't say it once, he says it all the time, the journey is the reward. And I think it applies not just to uphill skiing because then you get to ski back down or snowboard back down, but oh, often yeah. in life, the journey is the reward. What you learn along the way, what you appreciate along the way is more meaningful than that, you know, five minute run or the passing the finish line in the race or whatever it is you're doing. It's that journey that builds the character and the fortitude and the resilience and appreciation for life. What, you know, absolutely. There's so much truth in that, especially in fitness is that, okay, 
what's 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 the end here a six-pack abs like that's that's yeah, what yeah. we want and then like <laughs> this this actually goes back to the point right because whoever gets six-pack abs they're, they're never like that's it i'm perfectly happy i'm content <laughs> i don't need anything else no they yeah. realize that 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 wasn't the ultimate source of fulfillment so that that actually invites a deeper theological question oh, yeah. but just to keep it simple to your point is that okay as long as we understand that six-pack abs is not my complete contentment in life, there can still be so much inherent, especially moral value in striving for this by disciplining my desires to make certain goods accessible and then effortless so that I can develop intemperance. I can develop in fortitude all the things that you just said, and those are inherently good character traits as long as they're in the right context. Mm -hmm. And that makes all the difference, especially in fitness, because we see that people who just obsess over that that particular end and they really think that if they have that end or they have more of it then they'll finally be happy um you know six six percent body as soon as i get the six percent body fat i'll finally be they get the six percent body fat actually i need to be at five uh, when i'm at five percent body fat uh, and that's destructive that's oh, unhealthy it's so, it's so that, unhealthy that, that is that is disordered that's that is when fitness has run amok but if you rather see okay i'm going to Focus on, you know, nothing wrong with wanting to look good. Honestly, I have nothing against that. But if, if that is all you think about, I think, I think you're going to cause yourself a lot of misery. I do. But yeah. if you reala realize that there's actually greater opportunity here, like you said, to really just focus on developing certain character traits like temperance, like fortitude. Those are the two big ones. Like there's like fasting and exercise right there yep. embodied in the, in the virtues. Um, then, you know, awesome. I think you're going to have a, a much more fulfilling and worthwhile experience with exercise when you take that more expansive mindset. Yeah, I love that. You know, uh, well put. And I, I like seeing people come into exercise as a, a recharge, as a reward, not a punishment, not something they have to do. Like, you know, they come in because they're going to do something good for themselves. They get a little time away from their family or they do it with their family, whatever it is, but they're doing something investing in themselves so they can be the best version of themselves to do what they want to do. Yeah. I obviously agree with that, that exercise that, that, that the trial is fun. It's challenging. Yeah. Kind of like we were talking about before, like it sucks, but we mm -hmm. can have, we can, we can enjoy the suck from any, like it's yeah. fun. <laughs> enjoy it's the fun. Suck. <laughs> it's fun to grind. It's it fun. It's fun to work hard. It's fun to be challenged. You just need to have the right expectations about these things. And it wouldn't really be rewarding if there wasn't any challenge to begin with. Like we just, if everybody just had it automatically, it doesn't seem like we'd have the opportunities for that, those important characteristics to develop that important I, moral growth. Oh, to totally bad. I think, um, resistance, you know, in any kind of form, whether it's weight or life events or challenging events, build the strength that you need to take on the next challenge. If you just fixed it like that, and you wouldn't have the, like you said, the character traits to, to, be, to benefit in life. Yeah. And, and I think, I think generalism can help there too, right? When you're not obsessed with being the best in the world, then you can kind of get out of that ego comparative trap of always like comparing yourself to, to other people, which again is, it can be very destructive. Good to take inspiration from people. Good. Sure, that's, sure. that's awesome. That's good. But when you start constantly putting yourself down or feeling like you're not enough or you'll never be happy until you reach, until you beat the other guy, that I think can be a very destructive mindset. But, but yeah. like what, what you said, um, you can take inspiration, you can be a generalist, you can short-term specialize, and you can avoid you can avoid all those snares uh, almost completely and really, I think, have a lot more fun in the process along the way. Uh, totally agree. I hope the listeners are capturing the, the truth in this from you and from me. Um, yeah, don't take things so damn seriously. Just, <laughs> just do the work and go have fun.
Yeah, and it is fun. Uh, learning yeah. new skills is fun too. You know, I'm always trying to learn different things in the in outside and in the gym that I suck at. And totally. you know, once you yeah, once you just realize that the process is just what it is, you can laugh, you can goof around. Uh, like this mm-hmm. this past year and a half, handstands were my big thing. I've gotten pretty good at them, but I mean, like for the first like five months, I was just constantly falling on my back and on my face. Oh, yeah. and, you know, but I had a good time doing it. And you know, you get frustrated every now and then, but. You just realize, look, I've been through this before. I know if I keep sticking with it, some, those connections in my brain will form. Yeah. Come hell or high water, if I just keep <laughs> sticking with it, I will be able to finally stick this thing. And if you just trust, that's another key too, is trusting the process. Having a process and you trust the process will work if you stick with it, mm-hmm. then yeah, then it just, it's, it's liberating. It's very freeing. Oh, I like that a lot. Well, I, I'm not good at handstands yet. I'm pretty good at headstands. I was down with our, I want to say nieces, but I guess technically they're actually cousins first removed or I don't know. I need a pie chart to figure it out, but relatives. And we're doing headstands and, and they were doing some handstands during gymnastics. And it's fun. It, that's the fun part about health and fitness is, you know, getting on the ground and playing with the kids and the dogs and just rolling around and getting dirty and not having limitations in a way because you have put in the hard work. To, to make sure the patterns are good and that they're good, you load them and then you recover and you do all the things in meditation and praying and whatever else you do to make you whole. So then you go to do something fun, you can do it. And it's, it, it's funny because, you know, I work with a, a wide range of people, but consistently, you know, people who are a little bit older, um, that's what you hear more than anything else. They don't, they don't care so much about having mm-hmm. visible six pack abs or, you know, winning a power. They just want to be able to, when their grandkids come around, if they're not mm-hmm. here already, they want to be active with them. They yep. want to take them on physical adventures. They want to wrestle with them. And I think that's great. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, Pat, this is, this has been a lot of fun. Can you believe it's been an hour? It's oh my goodness. Already. Yeah. <laughs> As there, I, I want to keep talking, but you've given me an hour of your time already. Uh, we need to do this again, I think. I'd be my pleasure. This has been a true joy. Well, ditto. It's been a very big joy on my part, too. Is there anything else you want to leave the listeners with to digest over the weekend? And, and where can people find you and learn more about you? Yeah, sure. Well, let me think on the digesting thing. Um, a steak. Digest a steak Ooh, this yes. weekend. That sounds <laughs> Make it good. too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please. Yeah. Um, yeah, so me. Uh, the Pat Flynn Show is my podcast. Um, and my yeah, website is is chroniclesofstrength.com so you can find links to my podcast there and like you said the the place i'm most active is my email list i try to make my emails useful occasionally entertaining Um, thank you very much and uh, you can hop on there at my website or if you're if you're super into kettlebells the um the other website is 101 kettlebellworkouts.com so that's the numbers 101 kettlebellworkouts.com you'll get a big fat course and offensive PDF of just a hundred, literally a hundred one of my kettlebell workouts throughout the years. And you can just treat it like a buffet, take what interests you, leave what doesn't. That'll get you on my email list and you'll have a bunch of kettlebell workouts too. So that would be, that'd be the best place. Oh, sounds great. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of steaks, um, I, I told you I went down to Texas to visit family and I stayed with a person who I'd never met, George, George Harrison. What a great name. So I show up at George's house. He had two steaks cooking in butter and a bottle of whiskey. I was like, I like George. <laughs> George, so, thank George you. is a man. Yeah, thank you, George. <laughs> I love you, George. Yeah. Uh, he was great. He's like a Dan John to me. He kept me up to like one thirty, talking about life. We finished all the whiskey. Woke up hungover. He's like, "All right, let's go feed the cows." I'm like, "Cows?" He's like, "Yep, son. We're on 350 acres out here in Texas, and we got in the John Deere, and we fed 55 cattle and two horses." Isn't that beautiful though? Like, oh, talk I love about it. the good life, right? It That's was just, so great. It's, just, it's like those are the those are the moments. Those are the memories that that really last. 
There are. It, yeah. As a good quality person, he was a father-in-law of my cousin. And um, yeah, random events, good people, good conversations, staying up late, talking about life. And he's very into fitness too. He had a garage gym and showed him how to do a pistol squat and then, we, you know, feeding cows and eating cows. It's great. Yeah. And I guess that'd be the last thing I'd say for people to digest. So like never miss an opportunity for that. Like That's if you have, good. if you have something like that coming up, like you never regret having, you know, maybe you regret having one more drink, but you never regret having that one more <laughs> hour of conversation at least. So I'll yeah, hedge the well, claim but, a little bit, right? Yeah. But, you can take some charcoal and some water and get through that. And the thing you do regret, like looking back, especially with family members who are older and, you know, most of my grandparents are gone now is you do regret the times where you, you said no, you, you yeah. wish that I wish I would have done that extra dinner. I wish I would have done that extra lunch. So Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think that's what I would. I would well, leave them with. Yep. Let's leave them with that. And let's lead with that in the next one, because you and I can get really deep on that one. Would love it. Awesome. Well, Pat, all the best to you and your family and all of your, your super fans and all the people that you have in your influence. Uh, you're lead them in a good direction. I appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. A pleasure. Absolutely. And all the listeners out there from the gamer.com podcast. I love you like always. And thank you for listening.